All right. Oh, am I doing this? Okay. Who knows? We're leaderless. We're leaderless today. We have no idea what to do with Jason. We don't even know how to start this thing. No. And yeah, that's how we're Jason, starting. what's going on? That is that is how we're starting. We don't even know how to start. That's that's it. This is the intro. We're already a dumpster fired. We have no leader. Jason Pye, where are you? Yeah. Um, as you may notice, you're listening to the Peach Pundit podcast. My name is Scott. I'm joined here today with uh, Buzz Brockway and one of our longtime uh, Peach Pundit contributors, Eric Harrison. And we have Eric a lot to talk about. Tonight. Also known as Eric the Younger. Yeah, All Eric the Younger is his, his name on Peach Pundit. You've uh, you've seen his posts from time to time. Uh, he's also, I think, our number one fan. He's the one person I get the most texts from about what we've <laughs> talked about the night before. So maybe we should do a, like a little contest, uh, you know, or uh, maybe even a fundraiser. We can give it to like Autism Speaks or something, whatever, and say, you know, if you pitch in for a chance to win a spot on the Peach Pundit podcast, you too can sit here and bloviate <laughs> and wildly speculate <laughs> alongside us about Georgia politics. What do you think? Is that a good idea? Sure. Why not? I mean, it sounds fun to me. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, all right. We're doing it. Jason, you don't even have to come back. We got this thing it's, under yeah. control. Jason's <laughs> are spawning around Washington, D.C. with the, you know, with the swamp creatures. Who knows who, who knows what? Yeah. Yeah. He so, was live tweeting some committee meetings earlier this afternoon. I'm yeah. not sure what he's up to now. <laughs> yeah. He, he is probably just honestly worn out from his day on the Hill uh, for the last 48 hours. He's been running like a madman up there trying to fight for Liberty. Um, yeah, that, and that's what Jason around. does. That's what he's doing. He's swanning around. So. Yeah. <laughs> so we have a lot to talk about. First of all, uh, I obviously was not, and I, uh, here last week and I just want to, uh, address that really quickly. And the reason why is my mother-in-law who had been living with us for quite some time had passed away actually not long after we wrapped our podcast a couple weeks ago. Um, it wasn't very long after that at all. And we went to Florida to um, have her interned at the national cemetery down there alongside her husband. And the amount of support that you guys have given me here at Peach Pundit, as well as you know our family and our friends and our neighbors, it's been fantastic. Thank you all so much. Uh, I can't tell you if you ever have the opportunity how rewarding it is spiritually, if you have the opportunity to be a caretaker for somebody. Um, you know, there you read plenty of things about how it can be stressful, and it can be. You know, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It can be stressful, but the spiritual growth that our family has experienced by being that caretaker is unmatched and cannot be replaced and i'm grateful to have had the opportunity to do that so thank you guys yeah. for your kind words and encouragement over the last couple of weeks it's, it's meant a lot to me and my family so. yep but don't that being said uh, again we have a lot to talk about um we're going to start off tonight uh, uh talking about the atlanta mayoral race because you know how much I love Atlanta politics. <laughs> we actually have an, as somebody who can actually vote in the city of Atlanta on with us. And it's not you. Yeah. Right. So, right. I've even yeah, got we, a city council district map to my left. And there's a precinct map behind me. And I thought I was a nerd about house stuff. So here we go. Uh, we're going to turn this segment over to Eric. Guide us through the the... <laughs> The, the, the labyrinth that is Atlanta politics. Give us an update. How is the mayoral race going? So I am still a newbie to Atlanta politics, uh, but I, I have jumped into the swimming pool, uh, not necessarily the shallow end, but not quite the deep end yet either. Uh, the mayoral race is definitely an interesting one. You know, clearly, uh, we've talked about before on the, or y'all have talked about before on the podcast, Keisha Lance Bottoms chose not to run for re-election. Uh, that the the new hiccup is that Kasim Reed decided to come back into the race uh, and hiss, run for <laughs> uh, what no word on the FBI or GBI's opinion of the the candidacy. Uh, but he is back in the race, running for a historic third term. Uh, as mayor of Atlanta. Uh, and at the moment, he is the candidate to be. Uh, I live on the west side of Atlanta, uh, you know, about eight, 10 minutes from Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Uh, and in the last week and a half or so, uh, his signs have popped up like daisies all over the place, uh, as have Andre Dickens, uh, who's a city council member at large member, 
who's also running for, for mayor. Uh, Atlanta City Council President Felicia Moore uh, has been a little bit quieter recently. I'm not really sure what's going on there, uh, but there's a, a few other folks uh, running as well that have caused a, a cascade of, of seats to be open. You also have council member Antonio Brown, who's also been kind of quiet, uh, but he's he's been active in his district fundraising and doing meet and greets, uh, but he definitely needs to, to open up to the rest of the city to get his name out there. Uh, he is, I would say, the most ambitious of the, the group, given that he hasn't even had a full term on council yet. Uh, he yeah. came in in a special election uh, after the, the previous member, uh, Council Member Young, passed away uh, and then decided to run for mayor uh, after not even a full four years on council. Uh, so across the street, like literally across the street is the district line. Uh, so there is a wide open seat over there again. Uh, there's a wide open race in City Council District 4, which is the one that I live in, uh, with five people challenging the incumbent uh, city council president is wide open. Like it's, it is entirely possible, though not particularly likely, that everyone in the city council and mayor's office could be brand new uh, starting in January, given that there are challenges in every seat uh, and there are multiple seats with wide open options. So we haven't heard, you know, obviously the previous administration presidential administration went after city of Atlanta pretty hard. VJ Pack, uh, one of our buzzes, I had uh, served with him in the house. He's a former colleague of ours. When he after, was my state rep for a hot second too. Yeah. When mm-hmm. <laughs> great. Um, he, he was one of the, one of the most thoughtful, smarter legislators. He asked great mm-hmm. questions in committee. He had like, he, he was truly valuable in committee work when we were working about working on legislation. But when he was appointed as a um, U.S. attorney, he went after the city of Atlanta pretty hard mm-hmm. and actually brought indictments for many of the people who work for Kasim Reed. From, mm-hmm. uh, how is that playing? How is that playing in, in your area? Do people not care? Do they not realize that he may be a criminal? Uh, <laughs> I mean, I think the Allegedly. criminality in Atlanta politics is uh, relative, given that you know, it wasn't that long ago that Bill Campbell went to prison. Right. Uh, and yeah, there's still some folks around here that remember that. Uh, yeah. But it, they didn't care. They, they, yeah. they reelected him knowing he was a criminal. You know, yeah. that, and that's uh, kind of the point here is, is, is Kasim Reed inevitable? I don't think he's inevitable, but uh, to borrow from, from George Cheedy, a previous contributor to, to Peach Pundit and a freelance journalist in his own right, uh, I think the general opinion is Kasim is a doer of things. Uh, and one can question whether or not those are the right things to do uh, or to be done, but he is a doer of things. Potholes got filled, things were happening in the city. Uh, and that's what people remember. Whereas uh, to contrast that over the last year, uh, you know, for half of the pandemic, uh, the city of Atlanta couldn't get its garbage picked up every week. Yeah. Uh, so. You know, the the potholes on Marietta are ridiculous. The potholes on Cascade make me want to apologize to my Honda every time I hit one. <laughs> uh, like there's a, a a lot of remembering of Kasim did stuff. Uh, now the the criminality aspect. I mean, he's not the only one uh, currently running for mayor that you know, is is of interest to the Federal Department of Justice. Uh, Antonio Brown had an indictment unsealed uh, earlier this year, uh, or maybe it was late last year, uh, around some some very large credit card fraud purchases. Mm-hmm. Um, so that hasn't really been talked about a lot, in, at least in the circles that I've been traveling in. Uh, but the the feds have interest in at least two Atlanta mayoral candidates, and we'll, <laughs> we'll see what what happens uh, like closer to November. Yeah, that's a, uh, yeah. definitely an appeal to heaven moment in my mind. Uh, <laughs> but that that being said, we moving on. I think it's a nice segue. Well, I because, guess I have one one question though. Quick question for Ken: How is we, you know New York is not Atlanta. I get all that, uh, but a huge issue in the New York mayor's race was, and the eventual winner uh, was basically saying 
look, this this defund the police stuff is madness. We've got to be sensible about fighting crime again. And that, you know, he, he sort of I wouldn't I won't say he was anti woke, but on the scale of wokeness, he was definitely on the less woke side of the Democratic <laughs> primary and won. How you know, what what are the dynamics in from your view? Your know, crime is up, and uh, uh, you mentioned George. He, he's been. If you're not reading his, you know, if, if folks aren't reading what George is writing about uh, currently in his Substack, you, you ought to. He's he's very Substack is fantastic. Bri brilliantly exploring all of the reasons uh, why crime uh, may or may not have risen in in the state of Atlanta. It's not as simple as just saying, uh, oh, oh, somebody said defund the police and they defunded them because they really didn't. Uh, from mm -hmm. what I understand, they really didn't defund the police. But anyway, how how is but there has been a sharp rise in crime in Atlanta. Uh, in there the has this pandemic and what you know how what are voter you know folks that you talk to what are they thinking about all that? So again, I'm on the west side. Things are a little bit different when it comes to that than say Buckhead. Yeah. Uh, Buckhead definitely has a very loud voice uh, with both their city council member and the 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 business association that they've got there, the Buckhead Coalition. Uh, so there's a lot of conversation going on about that there. On my side, like the, there is definitely a, an appetite to reform the police mm -hmm. uh, on, on my side of town uh, and in the groups that are the, the circles that I have traveled in uh, that ranges from some pretty common sense basic stuff uh, all the way out to a, a full Minneapolis defund and yeah. reimagine the police. Uh, the the PAD program that City of Atlanta has implemented and, and kind of phased in over the last, I guess, three or four months, uh, it's a pre-arrest pre diversion program mm -hmm. uh, to help with folks that are either experiencing homelessness, uh, a mental health breakdown, uh, you know, some other stuff that doesn't necessarily need a police officer to respond, but would be more uh, akin for a... Or, more better suited by a uh, social worker. Uh, so they've, they've rolled that out. The, the problem is those things don't always happen during the standard business hours of Atlanta 311, right. which is the alternative to 911, right. uh, which runs from seven to seven um, a.m. to p.m. Uh, Monday through Friday. So if you've right. got something that happens over the weekend, uh, gonna yeah. have to tough it out. Right. Uh, or, or the cops are gonna come. I mean, that's, that's, yeah. the, that's the problem, right? I mean, you, yeah. you, so, and there's there's a lot happening. of discussion over what's been labeled cop city uh, over at least in the circles that I've been in. Uh, it's the the large training facility that's being discussed by APD. Mm -hmm. uh, it is incredibly large. Uh, I think the the last number I saw was around 390 some odd acres, wow. uh, which is actually ooh, I believe the number was six or eight times larger. Than the training facility that the uh, New York Police Department has, wow. uh, and so there's been some questions as to why do we have something so large going to? Uh, you know, it's one of the largest unbroken tracts of land within the city. Uh, it could be a smaller development for police training, uh, even if you're going to be doing like the the road chases and uh, driving maneuvers and all that kind of fun stuff. Uh, right. long range shooting, even though the SWAT teams don't really do much more than about 30 yards. Uh, like there's not really a whole lot of need for an almost 400 acre, yeah. which is right. like three quarters of a square mile. Uh, <laughs> there, you could put some more economic development housing. Uh, there's a lot of discussion over what, what is needed and what could be fully utilized by the training uh, in APD. Yeah. Uh, there is a theory that APD is trying to set the standard for the state and have it be a revenue generator by having other police departments uh, and post-certified officers uh, from sheriff's departments and, and whatnot coming up to Atlanta for training. Uh, right, so because that's I what police officers in Georgia want to do right now. They want to be <laughs> in Atlanta. Um, if I could, uh, the, one of the things that has happened here, you know, and, I, and unfortunately, I don't read George Chidi's Substack, and maybe I should, and I don't want to over, so I don't want to be accused of oversimplifying kind of how we've gotten to this high crime point where the point, we're at a point where the sitting mayor has decided not to run for re-election. 
um, her track record in this area, specifically around criminal activity and how she treats police officers is piss poor to be polite. <laughs> and uh, I remember in my last session, we, 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 are, we, we suspended our legislative session for COVID. We went back during the summer months and I got a call from one of my constituents who was a police officer who told me there are no police officers at night in Atlanta right now. And during that particular week, and that I should oh, that make was the sure. three day blue flu. Yeah. And it was right oh. during legislative session. And he told me, do not be in Atlanta after dark. <laughs> um, and so we can say there's a lot to it. And it's probably a lot mm -hmm. more nuances. But I mean, we, we have to lay responsibility ultimately at the feet of Keisha Lance Bottoms, which is our segue into our next topic is uh, Speaker David Ralston has decided to get engaged. Uh, on this issue, uh, Buzz, you, you, you know, is it appropriate for the Speaker of the House to begin hearings uh, on the safety and well-being of the citizens of Atlanta? Well, um, yes and no. Uh, there, there are obviously, you know, there are, there is local control. There is the idea that Atlanta already has a city government and. A police department and et cetera, et cetera, whose job it is to do that. And, you know, what could the legislature do to encourage them to do that job? I, I suspect that that's probably uh, part of what's motivating this is, hey, if, if Atlanta's not, you know, kind of a, a shot across the bow, if Atlanta's not going to take care of this, then we'll come in and take care of it for you. Uh, but I, I, you know, it's, it's also some election year politics going on. Uh, the fear of crime. Uh, probably outstrips the actual rise in crime because I think you know if you if you read George's stuff you'll see and if you and this is probably true in, in many cities across the country the rise in crime takes place in certain specific areas now you know uh, Eric mentioned Buckhead Lenox Mall for whatever reason has become a real problem spot and that is that is fueling all sorts of things uh, including a, a gentleman who wants to uh, turn uh, the area that known as Buckhead into an actual city and secede from the, the uh, from the city of Atlanta, um, so you know that that that's certainly a factor. But you know suburban moms, you you, you suburban moms, and you you look at a polling and even in 2020, uh, why was the presidential election closer than polls suggested? Uh, fear of crime was probably. Uh, a factor in that among suburban women who were looking around and saying, if it could, if, if riots could happen in Kenosha, Wisconsin, then they can happen in my town. And, uh, you know, so I think fear of crime far outstrips actual uh, threat of crime for most people, except those in the areas that are impacted. Uh, so it's good politics. And, but also, you know, th there is a problem in Atlanta that, that uh, needs to be addressed. And, so yeah, it, it's the legislature. You know, we, we cities never like to hear it, but when, when we were in the legislature, some and Scott and I, you, you, you and I served on the governmental affairs committee that uh, actually, uh, the, the, if you wanted to create a city, you had to come talk to us in our committee. Uh, so they are creatures of the state, and um, you know, every, it, it doesn't happen very often, but they can get dissolved, and the state can step in and do stuff uh, when necessary. So. Yep. Has it reached that point? I guess that's that's part of what uh, the speaker. Uh, I know there, there's been you know committees that have been holding hearings to discuss it. You know, so it's interesting. It'll be an interesting development uh, moving forward for sure. Eric, how does it play uh, when the speaker says you know he he's concerned about Atlanta crime for somebody who actually lives in the city? You know the there's no sugarcoating it. The numbers are up, uh, but. Quite frankly, I don't feel unsafe in my own city. Like even when uh, the protests were happening, and uh, full disclosure, I was at a few of them, um, and like I would get calls from friends, uh, or my wife would get calls from friends, and be like, "Is everything going okay in Atlanta? Like, are y'all safe?" Uh, and generally, our response was like, "Our neighborhood's fine. Like, uh, it would take an hour for the protesters to walk over to our house." Uh, <laughs> While we are not far from where they are, it we would have a heads up they were coming. Mm -hmm. um, and they'd probably get distracted on the way over. So, <laughs> uh, 
like the the idea that Atlanta is unsafe, like in the before times, uh, pre-COVID, I would take Marta to work. I'd walk out on MLK. I'd take the Beltline up uh, towards the Ashby Marta station. I'd walk that at you know six thirty in the morning. I'd walk it at, at you know six thirty in the evening. And during the winter months, it's really dark. Uh, other times, I'd be coming back from Decatur. Uh, from you know, hitting up a Taco Mac or the, the brick store pub uh, with some friends and you know, still walking home later at night and never had a problem walking down MLK, even though it does uh, have a reputation that precedes itself. Um, so like the, the state coming in and saying, hey, you got to figure your stuff out, uh, which I agree with the, the meme that you sent down to the, the chat earlier, Scott, like that was hilarious. Uh, there is a fair amount uh, of truth to there are things that need to be addressed in the city. Uh, the, the violence reduction, oh, what was the actual technical name? Like the, the mayor, and I've never been a big fan of Keisha Lance Bottoms. Uh, she did establish after the protests uh, last summer a committee to, to look into some of the reform measures that could be done to reduce crime. Uh, to reform the police and, and have a better relationship between uh, government, uh, the police agency, and citizens. Uh, there's some of that that has been done, uh, but I would argue that police reform is a lot like education reform. You're not going to see results immediately. Uh, like, you know, it, it's not as bad as education reform, which I think it was the governor of uh, Ohio at one point that referred to it as uh, similar to a Russian novel, it's long, tedious, and everyone's dead in the end. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, for those who, who aren't familiar, uh, that weren't on the chat, the, the meme that I sent to the group was a scene from Rick and Morty, uh, where Morty tells his sister to get her stuff together, <laughs> and he doesn't use the word stuff, and uh, to get it all together, to put it in a backpack if she needs to put it in a backpack, or take it to a stuff store and sell it, or put it in a stuff museum, but... She needs to get it together, and where and then he he leaves the room and he comes back. Get your stuff together, um, and he doesn't use the word stuff. But that is essentially what David Rolson is doing here for for Mayor Bottoms and the City Council in Atlanta. He's putting them on notice yeah. that you know, and he's reminding them, frankly, and this is a fact that cities are a exist at the pleasure of the legislature. Uh, yeah. The legislature can have and does have the authority to do all kinds of changes to the charter of the city of Atlanta, including change district lines, eliminate city council positions, change it from a strong or a weak mayor type of system, you name it. They, they, could, they could dissolve the whole thing and say it's not a city anymore. It's an unincorporated area of Fulton County if they really wanted to. And that would be extreme and I don't ever see that happening. But oh boy, would there be a minor rebellion over that one? Well, yeah, and maybe and maybe there needs to be at this point. Um, while you feel safe, you know, I see constant um, headlines of you know shootings. My one of the satellite campuses of my church, Buckhead Church, has bullet holes in the side of it in Buckhead. Um, not that it was targeted, but it was stray fire that hit the side of the building. That is unheard of for that particular area, um, and, and it's happening more frequently, and, and there has to be something done about it. And you have to understand as well, the Speaker Ralston lives in Atlanta most of the year these days. That's true. He, he is down there. He owns a condo down there, and he is allowed to do that because he has legislative responsibilities throughout the year. So um, that being well, said, I don't think it's an easy answer. No, um, but uh, oh, no, it's mind. not an easy answer, and it's going to be a fight for you know the years to come to to figure out what does a a reformed police department look like, what does modern policing look like, mm -hmm. uh, and you know talking about the news. I mean, Sequoia Turner's uncle lives mm -hmm. two streets behind me. Like yeah. I walk past his house regularly. Uh, one of the the neighborhood kids. Uh, went to school with Sequoia. Uh, there's still not been a whole lot of effort put into that from the, the investigative side. Right. Uh, and that is incredibly We may never know who shot a three-year-old girl on the streets of Atlanta. Yeah. She's eight. Eight years old. Eight, I'm sorry. Yeah, I guess for, for, uh, for, yeah. for listeners who, who aren't well-versed, Sequoia Turner was uh, the uh, 
eight-year-old girl sitting in the back seat of her mother's car. Her mother and another passenger happened to make a wrong turn in the in just in the weeks after uh, the the after shooting Rayshard death of Brooks Rayshard been. Brooks. The the Wendy's area was more or less a and uh, uh, well a, a, a lawless a law anarchist a law enforcement area. free zone. Yeah, yeah. And they made a wrong turn, and uh, bullets were fired into the vehicle. And uh, sadly, young Sicoria Turner was 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 killed. Yeah. And uh, the family and has uh, brought a lawsuit against a number of entities, including Atlanta City Police and all those responsible for the conduct of uh, the police, including the mayor. So uh, the mayor and a city council member. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, again, I, I don't particularly feel like it's outside the realm of saber rattling in this particular instance. You know, if you're if the speaker needs to tell the city of Atlanta to get their stuff together, um, maybe it sends a message and they start working on it. Maybe they they become doers of things. Um, but this weekend, the speaker has his own hands full with his own caucus. They're they're meeting for their retreat down in Jekyll Island. Uh, one of the things that they will be taking up as an item of business is replacing Trey Kelly as the House Majority Whip. Uh, we've talked about that in the past, how Trey Kelly had stepped down and it created a vacancy that immediately Barry Fleming uh, of, of SB 202, the election reform bill fame, uh, has stepped up to run for that position, a position that he had held previously in a, in a different life 10 or 12 years ago, I guess. And uh, he was challenged by the sitting caucus chairman, Matt Hatchett. Uh, the caucus rules, uh, we had a blog post. Uh, our contributor, Clyde, decided to write up uh, the post last night about the weirdness that's going on in that particular election. And what we are seeing get is- some interesting stuff. He had that, yeah, yeah, look, that April that. Fool's video and then like <laughs> intricate understanding of house chamber rules. <laughs> Um, uh, caucus rules uh, in particular, and I have a copy of the uh, caucus rules uh, that somebody sent me as well. So we end up with um, the scenario where you have uh, dominoes falling. You had three members of the House Republican caucus decide they wanted to run for chairman. Casey Carpenter out of Dalton, uh, Bonnie Rich out of Gwinnett County, and Dominic Lariccia of Coffee County, South Georgia, who was also a floor leader and resigned his floor leader spot in order to run for the uh, governor's floor leader. He, he resigned that spot to run for uh, that caucus leadership position. Wasn't um, Bonnie Rich also a floor leader at one point? No. Or she am is, I she getting her chair? She's the reapportionment committee. Right. So she is. Which okay. will be kind of busy you know, throughout yeah, the, the, the next six months. Right. And beyond. We're, Buzz, <laughs> did you go through reapportionment as a member of the House? I did. Uh, and, yep. and could you describe for us what that process? I never did, so I was blessed to <laughs> um, serve eight years in between. Um, so tell me what it's like. It's a, it's a very interesting thing. It, you you um, your political future is at stake, and you have as you know. I, I was a freshman. I was I had I was in my first year of service in 2011. I had zero impact on anything that happened. Uh, my district got shifted around, and about. 60% or 70% of my district or so was moved around. And suddenly I had you know, 70% new constituents I had to go chat with in the next election. It's, it's, um, there's a lot of tension there and, and for lots of reasons. Uh, we, we, we talked about it before, I imagine it will happen again. The, the power, you know, the, the population is shifting north and shifting toward Atlanta and metro, metro Atlanta area. Uh, and that means that since, since we can only have 180 members in the House and, and 56 senators, uh, we can't add seats uh, very easily. Uh, so districts disappear and folks right. uh, may find themselves uh, out in the dark, out in the cold, so to speak, or drawn in with other members. And, or uh, drawn in with their best friend. Yeah, uh, which has yeah. happened in the past and could potentially happen this yep. time around. I mean, it, they try to avoid that stuff. You know, I think, you know, things, you know, so watch for things like this, like Tyler Harper, uh, we mentioned is leaving the Senate and running for ag commissioner. That's very helpful to the map drawers who are trying to figure out how do we shift things around in South Georgia? Because now you have an open seat 
and there's land there and, and voters that you can move around and ease the pressure a little bit. Uh, look, so watch, see what retirements get announced. Uh, see what uh, things like that happen. People announcing, you know, on the Democratic side, you've got Derek Jackson and B. Wynn and um, uh, Eric Allen up in Cobb County who have announced they're running for statewide office. Uh, Representative David Clark here in Gwinnett County has announced he's not running again. Uh, the, all of those things, map drawers are looking and saying, that helps. Yeah. Because uh, your friend Wes Cantrell is not running for re-election in Cherokee County, so that'll free up some metro. Who was that? Republican. I'm sorry, Wes Cantrell. Oh, I hadn't That's heard right. that news. Yeah, he, yeah, he's uh, term limited himself out, and this is his final term. So you guys who term limit yourselves, come on, man, you're killing us. <laughs> well, I can tell you it was one of the best decisions I ever made. <laughs> um, that being no, said, that, that that makes life a lot easier for right. um, for Chairman Rich and and, um, well, and the map drawers. I, she is she's running for caucus chair and yeah. has told the caucus that she plans to stay as chairman of that committee. Um, so if you're a rank and file, imagine for a moment you're a rank and file member and Donnie and, and <laughs> Chairman Rich gives you a call. And hi, Scott, this is a uh, uh, representative Rich and I am calling to ask for your vote, uh, but I'm not going to give up this this uh, this gig as chairman of reapportionment until after I'm done with that, but I'd really like your vote, wink, wink, you know? Oh my <laughs> gosh, what kind of hammer is she carrying around to try to get votes at that point, right? Not Now, listen, I'm not saying that she would do that. And, and I know a little bit about uh, Bonnie Rich and I, I don't think that she would. Uh, uh, that being People said- People may assume. There is a, the, <laughs> I had more than one member reach out and say, hey, I feel so weird about this because it's an unfortunate coincidence. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Um, and, and so that's one of the things that has to be dealt with and, and, and wild speculation time, perhaps it's one of the reasons why we found out yesterday and again, reaffirmed today that they have decided to push off and, and hold back on electing a new caucus chair until some future date that has yet to be determined. They're all going to be together in Jekyll Island this weekend. They're going to elect a new whip. As far as we know, Chairman Hatchett and Chairman Fleming are both going to be running for that position, but we don't know why they just don't go ahead and fill the, the caucus chairman job, right? <laughs> kind of weird. Is, is, is that normal, Buzz, in your experience? Um, I'm trying to think if, if a scenario like that happened uh I, I don't recall i mean i don't recall have you know having this uh, the potential of a cascading elections um and i i you know it's been a while since i glanced at the caucus rules so <laughs> but there are i mean i, I will say it's not an it's it's there is precedent for a person staying as a committee chair and still holding leadership post um, Jay Roberts uh, did that, was caucus chair and uh, and chairman of a committee at the same time. That is, um, that has happened before. So I don't know. It's unusual. I mean, you wouldn't want to leave that open because, I mean, one of the things the caucus chair does is uh, recruit candidates, raise money for candidates. And you wouldn't want to, you know, let's say, let's say, let's say Matt Hatchett wins is and becomes the whip and now you've got this open caucus chair position you wouldn't want to leave that open too long because you know 2022 is and, and the primaries are not that far away so right and, and i have a quick question yeah go ahead being the the one on the show tonight that has not been an elected official lucky you uh, <laughs> is it possible that you know if this goes forward and uh and Hatchet loses, can he just go back to being caucus chair? Or does there have to be a whole new election? I, like, I, I know in the, the piece that Clyde wrote, uh, there was some, some discussion of the rules that that's not supposed to be able to happen. Right. Mm -hmm. it's, it, yeah, it's not supposed to happen. Um, what could potentially happen if they push it back is they could allow him to run for that spot again. But he has to resign in order to run for whip. So the, you know, a lot of questions are being asked, is he getting cold feet? Does he have the votes? Uh, would he rather just retreat back to a position? That, frankly, he's really good at. 
You know, he's he's mm-hmm. been an outstanding chairman of the caucus. He he really is. And and so yeah. and he's done it for quite some time. Yeah, eight years. <laughs> so, yeah. So he's he's good at it, and he, he knows the ins and out. Yeah, uh, Buzz ran for that spot, and he beat Buzz. Um, <laughs> and probably another reason why Buzz is thankful to God for losing elections. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, it's he's supposed to have resigned already, uh, is the way. And but whether or not people are holding into that, it, it's the Republican caucus. They're they're going to go yeah. with what feels right at this moment. And so I think what's really happening, this is speculation on my part. I think what's happening is um, in the event that he loses, he'll want to try to regain that spot. But mm-hmm. I also think that it, he will not go unchallenged because you have some ambitious people who have given up some things in order to run and they've been making the rounds and they feel like they have the votes yeah. regardless at this point. So we'll see Just what happens. A, um, it's, uh, it's inside baseball for sure. Uh, that's absolutely right. It's a, it's definitely inside baseball stuff, but um, if you're this is like listening stuff, to the explanation of the infield fly rule, All right, uh, I could explain <laughs> that to you too, in a way that would make your eyes glaze over. So, um, so that's, that'll be happening this weekend. We'll watch uh, we'll report to you through blog posts on uh, peachpundit.com on uh, what the outcome was of those elections and wh- how things are turning out after next weekend or this coming weekend. Yeah. Um, so other news, uh, our governor took to Twitter a couple of days ago and, with a personalized video where he talked to Georgians heart to heart about vaccinations. He yeah. talked about how hospitalizations in Georgia are increasing and that the people who are being hospitalized are unvaccinated. Yeah. He went on to say that he himself and his family had been vaccinated, is safe. And then he encouraged people to have a conversation with their healthcare provider, one-to-one to get their opinion and then make a decision um, while trying to encourage people to get vaccinated. I think the numbers I saw on the Department of Public Health's website yesterday is 40% of uh, Georgians now are fully vaccinated with uh, uh few points or 10 or points or so more of, of people having at least one dose. So the, the, the question I have for both of you, we'll start with Eric, is um, why do you think Georgia is lagging behind when it comes to people getting vaccinated for COVID? Uh, I personally do not understand the vaccine hesitation uh, or the, the, the anti-vax movement. Uh, I got both of my Fauci outies back in uh, March and April, uh, and I am thrilled to have the vaccine. Uh, when I was uh, a midshipman in, in college and looking at joining the Navy, one of the perks for me was like there were going to be some vaccines that I was going to be able to get that weren't necessarily normally available to everybody. Uh, like I, I want all the vaccines that I can get because I don't like being sick. Uh, and so as soon as I was eligible to get the, the, the Pfizer vaccine, that's the one I got. I went to a public health spot in uh, Macon for the first one, down by the airport for the second one. Uh, and you know, thankfully I didn't have to deal with much of the side effects, but uh, other than just being really tired after the first one, but I don't understand why the, there are folks that don't want to get vaccinated. I, I've never been a big fan of the, uh, the personal, uh, the, what's the exemption for school vaccines? Uh, uh, if you have religious. a strong personal belief yeah. Uh, yeah. And, or religious belief, like if I, I'm not a big fan of, of those exceptions, like if it's a medical necessity uh, and, and you can't get vaccine because uh, you have a, a depressed immune system or something like that for, for whatever reason, like there's not a whole lot we can do to, to help that other than make sure everyone around that person is vaccinated. So you have that herd vaccine or that herd immunity around them so that they don't get sick. Uh, This is something that just boggles my mind. I do not understand why if the vaccine is free and widely available uh, for a disease that could put you in the hospital or worse. Uh, My uncle passed away from it last summer. My, my wife's uncle passed away from it earlier this year. Uh, Like, if it can keep you from going to the hospital and dying, like what, it, it doesn't take a whole lot of extra time to go get and you get a free Krispy Kreme afterwards. Uh, <laughs> like, go get one. your vaccine. 
I didn't get a crispy. Anyway, uh, Buzz, why? why <laughs> well, my wife think, got mine. So yeah, <laughs> Buzz, why? Why are Georgians so hesitant to get vaccinated? I, I think, um, well, it, it 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 is hard to explain, and I think there are a number of factors. Sadly, some of it is political. There, you know, the, from the get-go, this virus has been a po a political issue. Uh, maybe not as much as a as a health issue, but it has been a political issue, and that, that's definitely part of it. Uh, but even you Donald saw Trump at, got vaccinated, right? Yeah, I mean, but Donald you saw Trump it. Yes, you're you're right. But you saw at CPAC uh, when you know somebody mentioned that uh, Biden's goal of ninety percent or what you know whatever threshold that Biden had set uh, wasn't met, the the crowd applauded. Why would you applaud? I don't know. That's, but I think you know. Look, they're setting aside unreasonable reasons to be opposed to this. I, I think there are some people, there are, I think there are some people who think I had COVID, I got over it, I've got antibodies built in my system, I don't need to, why would I, even if there's a small chance of a negative reaction to this, why would I do that? Uh, I think there are some people who, who think that. I think there are other people who, you know, there are people who have had bad experiences with the healthcare industry in their lives and may think, I just don't trust these people at all if they tell me you know, I don't trust them. And then I think there's a, you know, I think, you know, the, the bigger issue moving forward to me is the, the lack of trust in institutions has, has, you know, weakened. It's not a new thing. It's been going on for decades in this country. And now uh, that, that is, that, that now is uh, being applied to the healthcare industry. And some of it is uh, because, you know, look, um, there was confusion at the at the very start of all this about whether masks were a good idea or not. You've had, you know, Dr. Fauci come out and say, well, we didn't we didn't want people to go get masks because that would reduce the number of masks that the healthcare people needed. And, uh, you know, playing games with it. Uh, you saw a lot of people, epidemiologists especially, who were out there and saying, well, it's OK to be out protesting. Uh, when, you know, uh, protesting racial injustice, uh, but at the same time turning around and saying, but don't you dare go uh, go to your church. So I, I think that, you know, all of that, right or wrong, has eroded, has continued to erode trust in public officials and government officials. And so when, when these people stand up and say, well, you should do this, that, and the other, there's, I think there's a lot of Americans who just say, I, I'm not listening to any of you people. Right. So that's just contributing to it. But it is, you know, this Delta variant. And, you know, uh, you, you're right. I, I read a, a really gut wrenching post from an, a, a doctor in Alabama. Alabama has even worse. Uh, you know, I think they're the worst in the country as far as the number of folks who've gotten vaccinated. Oh, did and Mississippi she, bump up a bit? Apparently. Uh, at least Usually this article, I was thrilled for the existence of Mississippi uh, because <laughs> they make Alabama look better. So maybe that's wrong, but this article I read, you know, said that that was the case. Alabama was the worst. But anyway, they're very low. They're worse than Georgia is. And this doctor was saying, people are getting the Delta variant. They're coming into the hospital. They're telling me uh, oh, all these reasons why they didn't get a vaccine and how they regret that decision now as they lay in the hospital with this thing that's just kicking their butt. And she says, all I can say to them is, you're too late. You're too late. It's, you know, and then some of them die. And I, I think, it, you know, what was it reported a, a week or two ago that the uh, all you know, 90 or 99 percent of the deaths uh, due to COVID were among unvaccinated people now. So this is this is now becoming a, you know, a, a, a disease that's that's hammering the unvaccinated. So uh, I think that's why you're seeing this renewed call from Governor Kemp and many others to say, folks, go get vaccinated. I think you hit the nail on the head from my perspective. Uh, you know, I, I watch different media personalities. Uh, Jamie Dupree uh, had a post on his Facebook post. Uh, Jamie Dupree is a, a Washington-based reporter who for years and years and years had been on Atlanta radio as uh, our local radio station's voice from the Capitol. And he posted uh, a comparison of Trump voting counties and there, um, and how the Delta variant are beginning is beginning to ravage those particular counties where Trump voters are are yeah. more likely to be living. So uh, 
I thought it was interesting that he, he, he put that, but he didn't put any context around it. And, mm -hmm. and I think you have to get to this fundamental trust issue, which yeah. is what you just said, Buzz, and I think that's it, right? People don't trust the government, mm -hmm. and they certainly don't trust the media. And who's telling yeah. them right now to go get vaccinated? Yeah. Both. And yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what the answer is, but scolding people is not going to work. No. Shaking your finger at, you know, getting no. getting on, you know, and say, oh, well, this is all Tucker Carlson's fault. That's not going to, no. I, don't, I don't know what the answer is, but that's not the approach that's going to get the reluctant to go get vaccinated. Maybe so, it continuing to explain to them that, the, you know, this is, like, as you just said, Scott, this is hammering the unvaccinated. Maybe that will wake people up and they'll go get vaccinated. I don't know. Right. And, and well, so, you know, you've got every living president has gotten a vaccine. Multiple of them did a, a video of them getting the vaccine uh, yeah. to appeal to a, a broad base. Uh, generally, I abhor when celebrities come into the political arena, uh, but there are multiple you know, celebrities uh, in you know, Hollywood, business, uh, you know, a variety of different areas of, of public life uh, that have done similar. Uh, and I think if you know more governors, more folks of varying political persuasions and uh, pop culture familiarity get out and start talking about it uh, and how they have been vaccinated, uh, rather than you know, accost a, a reporter for violating their HIPAA rights, uh, yeah, then then those vaccine hesitant folks. Uh, we'll, we'll see more that like, okay, yeah, it kind of sucks to, to be really tired the day after or have a little joint pain or just, you know, you know some folks just felt like they got hit by a Mack truck after the second dose. Uh, but that's a far more comfortable thing than dying. Or yeah. not being able to breathe. And so yeah. I was asked, I've been asked several times from different people, you know, are you vaccinated? And I've refused to answer the question. And because I, I, there's something about me that abhors the fact that we're so open with our our healthcare issues, right? and I think there needs to be some restoration of privacy around around that. But I'll tell you today, because of the situation being so incredibly serious, I'm vaccinated, 100% vaccinated. Um, I did not suffer any ill effects from receiving the vaccination. Uh, I I did feel like somebody punched me in the arm really hard after the yeah. second second oh, dose. Yeah. Um, it felt like it was bruised, but that's it. You know, that was the only yeah. thing there was, you know, um, and I hate that we have to be at this point where we have to even talk about it. Yeah. But, you know, I, I, I waited because I, I am skeptical of the government. I, and I mean, I was part of it. So I, I know that they have earned <laughs> That skepticism. You've seen well these people, right? In I action. Mean, <laughs> you know, when I became part of the government, I trusted it less. So, uh, the reality is, though, uh, that the at this point, with it being so widely available, and that the numbers, the data, are pointing to the fact that it's safe. That the people who are going to the hospital right now are nearly universally unvaccinated people. Yeah. That it's it is protecting the people that are vaccinated, and yeah. so. I understand why. I understand the distrust, and I and it's absolutely distrust is the reason why Georgians are not going to get their shots. I, th I think there there is some you know if if we can look for silver linings here. I think uh, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but you know elderly folks who were more at risk uh, for COVID and and others who were more at risk for COVID, the percentage of those folks who have are vaccinated is much higher than the general population. So hopefully that means that younger, healthier people are the ones who are getting uh, affected, and that uh, and and therefore we won't see this great surge in hospitalizations and loss of life like we saw uh, in previous surges of COVID. But uh, yeah, I mean, one of the dangers of of this surge. I mean, we've always talked about bed capacity and and whatnot. Uh, but I had a post. Uh, I guess it was two weeks ago talking about some some healthcare data that was available, uh, and there are eleven counties in the state that do not have a medical provider in them. Like, there's no doctor, there's no nurse practitioner, there's no ER doc, there's no family care doc. Like, there's no doctor in eleven counties. Uh, there's you know half of the counties don't have 
uh, access to, uh, I believe it was a, a primary care physician. Uh, so like in these, these rural areas, uh, okay, to, to talk about Jamie Dupree's post, uh, where you have more Trump voters, uh, these are also areas that don't have a great deal of healthcare infrastructure uh, to be able to absorb uh, well, a, a great influx. And the reason why is because they don't have the population to support it. And, yeah. You know, you have certain counties with fewer than 5,000 people. There are more yeah. people, there are twice as many, almost three times as many people that live in the, in the small city of Holly Springs, Georgia, than we have in many of these counties. Yeah. And, and so you are, uh, you know, you, you have to put that into context when you say 11 counties don't have a, a access to a healthcare provider. They're also socially distanced by nature. You know, the nearest neighbor is a mile down the yeah, road. Yeah, I mean, there's some that have more pine trees than people. I mean, that's right. a, a fair yeah. amount of many Georgia, counties are that. It's yeah. it's one of those things, though, that like if if Tolliver County started to see you know six people get get COVID uh, for a county that has barely over a thousand people in it, right. uh, that does not have a healthcare facility besides a two room clinic that is attached to the school, uh, that anyone that comes in contact with those folks, uh, you know, they're not going to be able to get, it's not like me. I've got Piedmont, Grady, Atlanta Medical Center, all within 15 minutes of it. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, right. There's a Kaiser facility not too far from me either. Like, yep. they're, get your vaccines, but, don't but stress out here. your local health care. <laughs> there's people near you. Yeah. The, yeah. Uh, so, uh, that being said, you know, obviously it's a personal decision and we're not telling you, we're not telling you, you have to, we're not trying to guilt you into it, but um, you know, it's three people here who are, are conservative minded individuals who don't trust the government by nature. And, and we went ahead and got it done. Uh, you make your own decision, but you'd be doing yourself a favor if you, if you did. And I, I feel at this point, it's safe. The numbers are showing it's safe. Uh, the governor was not done. Um, making uh, different choices this week. He also decided to appoint one of our PSC commissioners, Chuck Eaton, to become a judge and then quickly appointed uh, uh, Fitz Johnson. What's it, uh, his, his first name, Buzz? Fitz, uh, yeah. Uh, Fitz. So yeah. we have a new member of the PSC and we also have a new judge. Uh, Eric, what do you know about these two guys? Uh, I know Chuck Eaton has been a, a longtime member of the PSC, uh, and I don't know much about his legal background. I know he did it uh, as a, a part-time student, which I always could. I've got a great deal of respect for anyone that does graduate school and a full-time job at the same time. Mm -hmm. uh, that is a lot going on at once. Uh, I did not do that route. Uh, so if you are able to manage a statewide elected position and go to law school at the same time, like, go forth. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> I, I don't know uh, a lot about his legal background other than that is the, the approach that he took. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what he does as a jurist uh, in my county. Uh, I do have a superior court judge that lives uh, three houses down, so maybe I can go ask him some questions and see what he thinks. Uh, he's on senior status, so he gets to take his uh, the cases he wants to take. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see what happens in Fulton County Superior Court. Uh, the, the Superior Court, really the court system as a whole in Fulton County is uh, fairly backed up uh, because there's a lot of stuff that is, you know, the, the business statewide business court, uh, you know, regardless of what your opinion on it was, it is going to greatly impact the Fulton County dockets because yeah. most of these business litigation things happen in Fulton County because yeah. that's where they're domiciled. Uh, Gwinnett County is another big one. Uh, that's where a lot of the registered agents are. So yes. like, it'll, it'll be nice to have another judge to help clear that docket out a little quicker uh, with his business background and PSC uh, regulatory background. Uh, if you know, some of those issues come up, uh, it's kind of especially around uh, like Vine City and English Avenue are having the problems with, uh, th those are two neighborhoods on the west side of Atlanta, sorry, uh, <laughs> just on the other side of Northside Drive from uh, Georgia Tech. Uh, they're having some issues with lead and heavy metal poisoning in the, the soils there, uh, and they're starting to expand it out into Bankhead, and I don't know if they'll get here to Mosley Park and Justice, uh, 
but if if there is a law, legal action that comes through that, having that regulatory background uh, would probably be very helpful for a judge. Uh, I I met Fitz a couple of times uh, in in the course of campaigns in 2014. Uh, I did not vote for him for state school super. Uh, I voted for the uh, previous libertarian candidate that decided to run as a Republican that year, uh, and. I, I don't, I know his background is in, uh, he was a 23 year career army officer uh, and has had a variety of experiences since. Uh, I'm not sure how useful that will be for the Public Service Commission, uh, given that it is a highly regulated entity uh, that deals with the, the biggest thing being Georgia Power. Uh, and as a Georgia Power customer, I'm still not very fond of that recovery fee that is on my bill every month. Right. Um, you're not alone, I don't imagine. You're not yeah. alone. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm not sure if that's going to be a benefit uh, to have fits on for the consumers that rely on the PSC to, to ensure fair practices, uh, but we'll see what happens. Buzz, from a political standpoint, Chuck Eaton had just been reelected, right? I mean... So this this is a term that uh, Fitz Johnson gets to take for what three years? Yeah, and, no, and no doubt. Yep. So he has some time before he even has to worry about yeah uh, reele or well getting elected for the first time or running yeah. for an election. Um, but that being said, you know you served with him on the charter school commission. Yeah, right? he, he's uh yeah he's, he's been on the state charter school commission for a couple months now. Uh, so I've gotten. A, you know, gotten to know him uh, better. He's, he's a very smart guy, as is Chuck Eaton. They're both really smart guys. But yeah, they, they, um, they'll be learning on the job. And that's, that's you know, that's, uh, that's what's going on here. But I think, you know, there are some in the legal community. It's a, it's a very, you know, it's a, uh, you know, there's a, there's a lot of lawyers who get rankled when a person like Chuck gets appointed who doesn't have a long legal history didn't pay his dues. Uh, so there, there are some uh, feathers ruffled. But at the end of the day, the, guess what? The governor gets to make the appointments that he wants to make, and he has chosen uh, to make these appointments of, these, uh, of Chuck as an attorney and, uh, and uh, Fitz Johnson to the Public Service Commission. And I, I think what folks can uh, you know, take comfort in is, I, I, you know, having known them both, I've known Chuck for a long time, they're both really smart people. Uh, they can figure it out and do these jobs just fine. Uh, it's not like the governor appointed him to become the attorney general of Georgia or anything. So, <laughs> um, speaking of other legal issues, we're going to wrap other up. Other governors with... did stuff too. So uh... <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, I'm team car all the way, but that's besides uh, yes. the point. The, uh, the, the other legal issues that we're going to wrap up our, our final story. Uh, one of our former colleagues has brought it to our attention um, that there have been a series of Fox 5 investigative team reports about where the sheriff of Banks County actually lives. And does he actually <laughs> live in Banks County? Now, I'm going to set this up, okay? Um, the, the line of the county line between uh, Banks County and I forget which county is next to Banks. Frank, Franklin. Uh, Franklin. Franklin County um, is, is supposed to be a straight line. Mm -hmm. And uh, when uh, former Representative Gassaway challenged whether or not the House sits in Franklin or Banks County, they provided a survey that was done by a relative of the sheriff, where the line goes up the property that's owned by the sheriff, scoots out into Franklin County, allegedly, scoops in the house, and then goes straight again. And so the line draws around. Um, and the, there's a, a Fox 5 investigative team found that uh, Franklin County's line goes straight up and down. <laughs> Banks <laughs> County has this little squerve, and there is a constitutional requirement that a sheriff live in the county in which they serve. And uh, it goes to court, and uh, uh, represent, former Representative Gasway spends a ton of money. We're talking over $100,000 trying to prove this, and the judge accepts the survey that was done by the sheriff's family member and says, yep, he lives in, he lives in Banks County and that's it. Uh, and it wasn't until much later that uh, the I team over there at Fox News got involved and started investigating. And so now 
we have this open question. You know, obviously the sheriff is saying, no, nope, the judge ruled. I'm I live in Banks County. But do you really? So you it, really? we it we have to go uh, it we have to go back a little further. Mm -hmm. This this issue came up as a result of you know Dan Gassaway um, lost re-election narrowly. I forget the exact numbers, but it was. I believe the tiny, article said it was two votes. A tiny number it was of votes. Two votes. Right. Yeah. He uh, he. Uh, hired uh, some an attorney and hired uh, Jake Evans, who's now uh, a, a candidate for Congress. Employed uh, Mark Davis, who uh, is ga gaining some fame for uh, uh, making other accusations about the quality of of Georgia's elections. And they dug in and they found out that there was a uh, a neighborhood that was supposed to be in in Gassaway's district that was not in this district and another neighborhood that was not supposed to be in the district was in the, and it was several hundred votes. The judge threw out the election and ordered another election. Uh, the second election took place and this, and, and uh, Gassaway lost narrowly. I, maybe it was like 27 votes or something like that. Still very close. Gassaway challenged again and got the election thrown out again uh, for you know, various uh, malfeasance on the part of local elections officials. That's where this issue came up because among the, you know, the, the Banks County Sheriff is a, uh, uh, not a fan of, of then Representative Gassaway, never has been, and obviously now never will be. Uh, that's when this issue came up. And so uh, uh, Gassaway is continuing that fight. He, he at, in the third election, uh, Dan lost again, uh, but by a wider margin, and uh, that you know that ended his his electoral challenges. But uh, you know, I, I think what what folks need to know about Dan Gassaway is he's not a guy who lets things go easily. <laughs> Apparently and, not. Uh, <laughs> and he's he, he is pursuing avenues. Uh, I think the latest uh, Fox Five uh, investigative report by Dale Russell, uh, it, it the kind of the ball is in the court of Franklin County right now. Do they want to, because there's property taxes involved, maybe not a lot, but there are property taxes involved. And, and where is the sheriff paying his property tax? Currently, be, it's, it's Banks County receiving that revenue. And if, uh, if they really are supposed to go to Franklin County, well, Franklin County may decide, huh, we like that money. And then you have a real yeah, problem. But it's not uh, so a lot I of think, money. Uh, <laughs> not a, I can't, unless the sheriff lives in this giant piece of land, right? Uh, I can't imagine it's a lot of money. So, uh, but yeah, uh, former Representative Gassaway, our, our you know our friend, is uh, not going to let this go, and uh, we'll, we'll see we'll see how this plays out. But I mean, it's how, a how fascinatingly niche topic to talk about <laughs> is the quality of GIS and mapping and surveys and how that affects state public policy. Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, you have you have potentially a sheriff that's not living in the you know, obviously what you know, if I was that sheriff, what I'd be doing tomorrow is getting an apartment across the county. You know, I, that's what I would be. Doing. So here, here, so here's what's interesting. Um, there is another border dispute between two counties. And it's uh, Macon County and Bibb County, and it has to do. It, it involves a little more a, a bit of money because it, it involves a Bass a, Pro uh, Shop, a Bass Pro Shop, <laughs> that straddles the line. And and uh, I, I I know I know about this because, you know, and, and what I'll be interested to find out is that if this turn if this Franklin County issue turns into a real dispute, if Franklin County says, yeah, we want that money, he's supposed to pay those taxes to us, and it goes back X number of years, and we, we want that money, uh, I, I, I'd i be interested to know if it becomes a similar situation to this Bass Pro Shop straddling the two county lines, the Secretary of State is supposed to, de to decide that dispute. And so <laughs> will that eventually uh, uh, move on up to where the Secretary of State of Georgia has to decide where the sheriff of Banks County actually lives. <laughs> oh, so, Secretary oh, Raffensperger. Yet I'm another so reason I'm glad I, I uh, lost uh, the Secretary of State's race. Oh, um, <laughs> Secretary Brad, if you're watching, we almost made it without talking about you. <laughs> we almost did. We almost made it to the end. We don't want to. Somehow, you just keep coming up, man. Well, I'm in this so case, sorry. we're 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 making a lot more trouble for him because that that I yeah, doubt he, that he wants to be the the guy deciding who uh, 
where the Banks County Sheriff it's not actually like he's, lives. It's not like he's doing anything important right now anyway, Buzz. This, you know, let's just throw this on his plate. Sure, well, listen, that's it. We've, we've exhausted our topics. We'll do a quick round. Is there any, you know, Eric, you've been fantastic filling in for Pi this week. Yep. You know, I, I, I move that you uh, make your appearance more regularly than just- I, I definitely would like to do that and be here more often. Although I have oh, I will far, he, far fewer hates. things to hate on yeah. than- uh, Jason Pye. Yeah. Uh, and so it's weird to hear an entire episode without hearing Jason say he hates something. So uh, <laughs> for the good, tonight, earlier for the tonight good I, of I the used... order, I'm just going to go ahead and mention the Federal Reserve Bank system because uh, I know that is one of his <laughs> giant pet peeves. So love you, Jason. Uh, also, you're a big supporter of public transit. Is that right? I am. I really yeah, yeah. enjoy he hates you now. transit. Uh, <laughs> like, I, I moved where I live because it is between two MARTA stops and there's a bus stop right outside my driveway. It's yeah, awesome. Yeah. Jason Love hates it. MARTA. So there you go. Uh, <laughs> we, 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 we got a hate in there for you, Jason. You know, yeah. er, earlier tonight, I used the phrase, I abhor because I did not want to use I hate uh, <laughs> uh, earlier tonight. But Buzz, how about you? Uh, I'm, I'm, I've, uh, We've exhausted all our topics and you've exhausted me too. So I've yeah, got nothing all right. to add. Well, that's it. We don't even know how to end this thing without Jason here. Uh, I guess, <laughs> thank you for listening. Like, subscribe. If yep. you're watching, uh, if you're one of the people watching on, on uh, uh, Twitch, make sure you uh, like and subscribe and also turn on your notifications so you know when we're going live next time. Next week, Jason will be back and I will not be here. Whoa. But... Uh, I'm sure you guys will hold down the fort between the three of you guys. So yep. thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. Like and subscribe, please. Bye, y'all. Y'all have a good one. <laughs>